Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining me as always from Southampton, England, our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, we have a special guest today. We do. We've got Craig Nico from uh, Craig's Curling Shoes. Uh, and the reason we reached out to him is actually he made a set of custom curling shoes for me about a year and a half ago. And uh, I love them. And I've been noticing a lot of uh, players at kind of all different levels these days are opting more for the custom option rather than buying shoes from a traditional vendor. So we wanted to talk with him about curling shoes, how custom curling shoes uh, work, and what his thoughts are on that. So... Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, Craig. Ah, thanks for having me. Just, just so we're clear, Jonathan, you did not get free shoes. That's not why we're do- we're doing this interview, correct? No, <laughs> I paid full price. I don't think Craig knew I had a, a podcast either. So <laughs> there's no quid pro quo, right? Don't worry about it. Correct. Um, full disclosure. Right? Full disclosure. Yeah, yeah. We're completely above the board on rocks across the pond. I don't know um, about that. <laughs> I don't think anyone's offered us anything free. So, uh. but all, by all means, we'll take it. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll see. Yeah. All right. Uh, Offers will start coming in. Yeah. <laughs> That's when we know we've made it. Yeah. So, uh, Craig, what? So, as, as I've said, I've noticed a lot more people are using um, custom curling shoes, both at the competitive level and at the club level. So, why do you think that change is happening? Um, well, you know, so there are probably a few things that are going on. I think that the foremost reason is for fashion style. I think people just want to stand out. Um, and you can see that in the custom built shoe industry too. Um, they're starting to produce more shoes with color and more sneaker like shoes to, to fit that demand. Um, also, you know, comfort, you know, the traditional shoes kind of like, uh, look like a dress shoe might be as comfortable as, as a dress shoe, you know, so comfort fashion, um, some of the more obscure reasons are difficult to find size. I've done up to a size 17, uh, 15s and 16s are pretty common. Um, and then outside of that is orthopedic reasons. You know, sometimes you just need a shoe that has the right arch or stuff and you just can't find it in a custom built shoe. I can, yeah, I can attest to that. I have, I have high arches and my first pair of curling shoes that I bought and I won't name the company, uh, but they were extremely uncomfortable. I had to go and get inserts just to make them tolerable and they, they felt like wearing bricks. Uh, so you, so you're obviously filling a need, but, um, how, how did you get into this? How did you decide to start making custom curling shoes? Um, what actually happened is, uh, my, my wife and some friends from the club have a mixed team and we like to travel around and bond spiel a lot. And we usually hit the really fun spiels. And so we like to go in costume and dress up or whatever. So, uh, one of the things my teammate suggested uh, searching online was these led light up shoes. And he thought, can you turn this into a curling? Can you think you can make curling shoes out of these? And I thought, I bet I can. So, you know, I start sourcing, finding Teflon and grippers and cobbled together some shoes with crude tools in the garage. And um, they turned out really well. The, the, the women said that they were super comfortable. Mine weren't as comfortable, but um, they loved them. They said they were their favorite shoes. And I thought, well, 
if that's your favorite shoes, you know, that might be something to pursue. So I sat on it. I didn't do anything more um, with that. But then, uh, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Shot Rock Curling Supplies. Um, they closed the doors uh, just a few years ago. Um, and Pete and Maureen Stolt were running that. And they uh, had started making custom shoes. And so all of a sudden in the Midwest there, there was a bit of a void uh, for somebody to make custom curling shoes and do toe coats and things like that. So word of mouth kind of spread. Uh, I got some business and I thought, well, I should actually turn it into a business. And here I am. Yeah. So the reason I, so I reached out to you because I couldn't find a custom shoemaker in the UK. So there's no market. And I kind of Googled around and uh, my in-laws live in the Twin Cities. So I kind of said, ah, oh, I could probably get them to deliver the shoes and, and pick them up and ship them to me. So that's what we did. But my reason for doing it was I'd moved from playing skip to front end and uh, sweeping techniques have changed a lot in the last few years. And so I'd had a, a pair of kind of uh, brand name shoes, let's say, I won't say the brand, that, that I'd been pretty happy with for years, but I'd never hadn't used them to sweep. But as soon as I had to start sweeping again and doing all the new footwork, it was not comfortable to do that. So I just kind of went and picked up a pair of shoes that uh, I use at the gym. So they're they're called No Bulls. They're like a brand of, I guess, initially CrossFit shoes. But um, I found them really comfortable and also a lot more useful for side-to-side movements and actually also kicking off the hack. So I kind of identified those and then sent them to you, and you did a fantastic job and really happy with them. But I'm wondering, that's what I think makes for a good shoe, but what do you think makes for, for a good curling shoe? Yeah, well, so that's going to be dependent on the person, I suppose, to some degree. You know, like you mentioned, front-end player, back-end player, different needs. Um, do you have a tuck delivery or a flat foot delivery? All that's going to change the type of shoe you're going to look at, probably. But in general terms, um, I think that something with a sturdy upper, you know, a, a, something with a less than the... F- uh, floppy canvas, like of an all-star, you know, those types of, you know, I do some of those, but I just, I, I feel like that's just not the greatest shoe because it doesn't have lateral stability. It's kind of, they're floppy, you know, they're not great, but uh, something with a, a midsole that suits your, what you need, whether it's flexible, whether it has a lot of rigidity, you know, depending on a lot of variables and probably warmth too. You know, some people get cold, some people get hot foot, you know, it's going to be a personal preference. Yeah. I, I, one of the things I've noticed this year is some of the like pros have gone to weightlifting shoes. Uh, have you ever done a weightlifting shoe conversion? Or So, yeah, those weightlifting and weight training shoes, like, uh, is it okay to throw brand names? Sure. I, yeah. guess, I, yeah. I, I guess I already did that with the All-Star. But, um, the, like the Metcons were really popular for a long time. And uh, they still remained pretty popular for a curling shoe because they have a, a flattish sole um, and there's not a lot of compression in that sole material, so it's stable. And then the uh, Adidas power lifts became real popular. You'll see a lot of those now. Um, they're, a, they're a more difficult shoe to convert, but they're still real popular. Um, basically, it comes down to the, um, the heel lift on that shoe matches somewhat of like the some of the purpose-built shoes. So it's not completely flat. You get a little bit of that heel lift for those people that like to get it up on their toe just a touch without having to strain their calf or anything. So I think it, it fits real well for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, is there a certain kind of shoe that's easy to convert? or And you, you mentioned the, the Converse ones are tough to convert, but are there any ones that are kind of easiest kinds to convert? Yeah. The, 
well, so in terms of converting the sole, that's primarily what we're working with, right? Um, a rubber sole versus like a plastic or polyurethane sole, uh, that's the easiest, something that's relatively flat. It, if it has a large upturn at the toe or the heel, like a like a rocking horse, like a running shoe, um, obviously you're putting a fl flat piece of Teflon on there. It's difficult to get that to work right. Um, the uppers, I think, you know, a lot of, I see a lot of mesh top uppers and maybe people have hot feet and like the cooling of that air blowing through the top of the toe. Um, and that works fine. It's just sometimes difficult to do the toe coat. The toe coat goes on as a uh, a liquid material that hardens. And so it soaks into that mesh a little more. Um, there's just some extra precautions for that, but it still works. And is there anything special in terms of say converting for sliding? Like is there a certain kind of shoe that's great for sliding versus one that's great for sweeping? Well, we talked about the, the power lifting or the, these power lifts and the Metcons and those work great. Uh, also, the, um, a lot of the basketball shoes have a real strong ankle and real firm midsole, which works great for a flat foot slider. Um, so in terms of sliding, this is where we get into, you know, there's a different type of delivery for every person, I think. Um, and so if you're up on your toe, you probably want something that has a, a pretty flimsy or flexible midsole. So it's not real rigid, so it can bend. But if you're a flat foot, then you want something that has a lot of that a, a lot of firmness through that midsole. So it doesn't have that lateral twisting that you need if you're a tuck deliverer. So you're going to look at different shoes for different people. What are some of the more interesting shoes that you've, that you've converted? I imagine, I, I imagine that, uh, you know, as, as people are wanting to uh, kind of express their fashion sense a little more on the curling ice that I, I imagine it's gotten even more interesting through the years. What are some, what are some of the more interesting shoes that you've turned into curling shoes? Yeah. Uh, a lot of different shoes. My wife, as you might imagine, has an array of shoes to choose from by now. Um, and she, I think, has a different color, a different style for every outfit she wants to wear. And at one point, she brought to me these um, ruby red wine suede velvety kind of shoes that had glitter across the heel. And I thought, you know, these will look pretty cool, but how do we keep that glitter from falling off? Oh, yeah. On the ice? So I sealed that up uh, with some... Um, clear sealant and that's not a service that I would normally offer. <laughs> um, um, and, and actually, you know, somebody did send me in some full glitter shoes and I nearly had a panic attack and anybody that knows me probably knows that I, I'm not a big fan of glitter anyway, <laughs> this stuff just gets everywhere. Um, but the, these shoes, the entire upper was glitter and they were like a purpley kind of iridescent glittery stuff and it shed. So it was all over the shoe shop and uh, it was a mess, and I, I hope that I hope that their Iceman woman is not cursing me to this day, but uh, I imagine they might be. I was about to say, are you just the bane of the existence of every ice maker in your area? Maybe I had um, uh, one guy I made shoes for sent me some Adidas Superstars with a custom toe, and it was a it was a metal toe cap that was um, that was a gold colored toe, but it was metal. And I tried talking him into a toe coat to protect that on the ice. And he says, I don't, I don't really press down with my toe. I think it'll be fine. Well, those shoes came back about a week later. And I think uh, he and his friends have started calling them the scratchers. But uh, I ended up putting a toe coat over the top of that metal, metal toe for him. 
Are you able to do a clear toe coat? I wish. I wish that I was. Uh, but uh, the, the material that I use has is a two-part uh, epoxy type of material. And the catalyst is clear, mm-hmm. but it yellows as it ages. And so um, clear is probably uh, impossible. It'll get cloudy. In fact, they have a white material that they don't really advertise because it's not really white. I mean, white is an absolute color, right? It's either white or it's not white, but there's everything that looks like it's white, but it's close. And so if you try and put a white toe on a white shoe and they're not the same white, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to look real good. It's going to look like you just missed. And so I don't do the whites either. Um, yeah. So do you have any uh, famous curlers you've done shoes for that you're allowed to, to mention or? I, I think I could probably <laughs> mention them. Yeah, so um, Matt Hamilton's been wearing my shoes for a couple seasons now. It started with his uh, um, shoes last year that he debuted at the Curling Night in America, I think, and that was the um, the ones that look like circus peanut color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It kind of looked like he was wearing circus peanuts. Yeah, it does. <laughs> he has a certain look. Yes. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So I, I've done three pairs for him. Those were both uh, Nikes last year. This year he switched up to those uh, baby blue Adidas shoes, which look pretty sharp. Does that um, have anything to do with USA Curling not having the Nike contract anymore? I have no idea, but it <laughs> might. Uh, I also made shoes for Becca uh, Hamilton. Um, Corey's wearing, Corey Dropkin and his older brother Steven are both wearing my shoes. Uh, and the all-pro NFL guys are wearing a bunch of my shoes. You know, Jared and Mark and Mike and Keith. Actually, Jared has five pairs now, and Mike wow. has two pairs. Yeah, they. Oh, that's cool. They got a bunch. Yeah. What do you have to take now? What do you have to take in consideration for those guys? They're they're bigger dudes. They're putting a lot more stress on their shoes. Is that something that kind of came into consideration when they were choosing what kind of shoes that they were going to use or were they going just straight fashion route? Yeah. So actually that's a more of a manufacturing issue for me. Um, and that's an absolute true point. So most curlers aren't that size. And so one of the things that I found with Jared's shoe, he actually um, had an issue with one of his shoes that I had to repair. And what I found is that the way I was adhering directly to the sole, um, when pressed between a gripper and the sole, it was twisting. And the adhesive that I used in that instance for a person that size and the amount of torque they were putting on it, uh, it, it didn't hold up real well. So I've switched to everything now and I don't do direct attached sliders anymore at all. Everything now is Velcro attached and that's, that's working out much better to have that layer in between that can take some of that, uh, some of that torque. Are you, are you able to do a steel conversion then, or are you just, uh, just Teflon? I, I could do steel though. I don't have, uh, I don't have a source for steel and I don't have any of the uh, machinery to, to work with steel. So it would, it would only be to attach a pre-existing steel slider disc or such. I, I wouldn't actually be able to manufacture, manufacture that. So all of my sliders currently, um, they just come from sheet Teflon that I, I, you know, cut to shape for the, every individual shoe so that it matches well. Uh, there's no, uh, assembly line sort of process here where I make a bunch of sliders and just stick them together. Yeah. I will say your Teflon's held up really well for over two seasons so far. It's, it's not, it hasn't really scratched at all, which is uh, pretty impressive because often with Teflon, that is a bit of a problem. It wears out fairly quickly, even the quarter inch. So whatever yeah. supply you're using, it's a good supply. 
Thanks. So what's the what's the future for curling shoes? Do you think? I mean, you, it sounds like you know you said that some of the traditional manufacturers are starting to produce shoes that look more like you know the Nike, Adidas, Reebok style shoes. Um, do you like to think that you have uh, some influence in that? And then how, do you, does it look like that's the way curling shoes are going, or how do you see the future of of curling shoes looking? Well, I know that uh, the people that like purpose-built shoes really like them. And so I think, I mean, there, there's always going to be that, but you know, all of those manufacturers also do custom shoes. So I know that they, they've identified that market as well. Um, Is it a fad? I mean, is that the question behind that question? Is it going to go away or is it going to overtake purpose-built shoes? I I think that there'll just always be a, a mix, but I think that the, you know, over the last three years, I've seen the trend towards custom shoes expanding. And at what point that plateaus or falls off, I have no idea. Is it just easier to size the the converted shoes than the than the the purpose built shoes? Because I know just from just from my shoe buying experience, like buying shoes online, I would never do just because I know that from brand to brand, like my size changes immensely, it seems like. Absolutely. Uh, well, I actually had that same problem. I bought a pair of um, you know, suede New Balance shoes that I thought were going to be awesome, but I bought them online because I couldn't find them locally and they're just too narrow. So I don't even wear them. So mm-hmm. I have a pair of 10 and a half new balance shoes, barely worn for sale. If anybody's, <laughs> anyway. I have that same problem with new balance, actually. They're too yeah, narrow, too for narrow, me. but uh, yeah, you're right. Because you've got what, maybe a dozen different shoes to choose from. And if they don't fit right, you, what are you left with? You know, wear something that's mm-hmm. uncomfortable, try and find some orthotics to make them feel a little bit better or choose from the thousands of shoes available and have them converted. And that's, that's kind of been my experience with curling shoes is I wear wides. So, I mean, there are no wide curling shoes because it, there's, there's no point in doing it really for them because there, there aren't that many people who are going to be buying wides in curling shoes. So I basically have to go a size up and then buy inserts to make them fit my foot. You're right. I imagine that there's probably uh, some decisions made um, in terms of manufacturing. What, you know, are we going to design and manufacture a shoe for less than one percent of the population, or such? And they're probably mm-hmm. just going to say no, or one percent of the population um, that curls, right? So for yeah, for, exactly. uh, for yeah. other shoe manufacturer, that one percent is a much larger number. It makes sense. Yeah. So you look. Yeah, you look at the number of curlers compared to the percentage of the population, and then an even smaller percentage of that percentage. I mean, it makes sense. It, it's a struggle for me, but, um, but it does make sense from a manufacturing standpoint. You know, I've got a marketing background, so I can see, you know, you get to the point where you choose not to, you know, you can exclude a certain, um, a certain percentage of the population because you're not going to make that much money off of it anyway. Um, so in addition to being um, kind of a curling cobbler, uh, you also, you know, you, you also curl, um, uh, competitively, right? You want to tell us about your team? I know you said that you're not going through the play down process for traditional nationals, but you are going through the play down process for, for club nationals. Do you want to just talk about your team and, and your background and where you curl out of and what you've sure. got going on this um, season? So, uh, I've s- sort of competitive, semi-competitive curled for uh, a few seasons now. 
Um, the team has evolved and changed a bit over the years as players have come in and out. But uh, this year we have a, a, a decent team of four guys. It's myself and uh, Andy Hovland at third and Jim Ivy at second and Jason Pereira at lead. And the couple of us, uh, Jason and I, I think are the originals on the team going back three, three seasons have been playing in the Minnesota state club playdowns and we've not, not done well as well as we hoped, um, even with a sparse number of participants. So that has us hungry to actually get this accomplished and, and win once. So we're going after it again this year. We're curling in some some WCT and cash spiel events uh, leading up to that to prepare us, but that's really our goal for this year. Last year, last season, we did play in the uh, men's challenge round. Um, again, that was mostly in preparatory uh, anticipation of getting to state club and national club level and playing against better teams. But, uh, so yeah, you've had an interesting season so far. You, uh, you qualified at the St. Paul cash spiel. You got a couple of decent wins there. You beat team Sinet and you beat team Brundage. Those are some solid, uh, American, um, American teams. And your, your only two losses were to some names that, uh, that people will definitely recognize in, uh, Rich Ruinen and, uh, and Todd Burr. Yeah. Uh, you know, right out of the gate, we got, we got Richie's team. Um, you know, they're tough. Uh, they're a top 20 ish team in the world. And so, but we played them pretty tough. Uh, played them close through, uh, seven ends anyway. I think it was a, a two point game after five. That's, uh, that's as good as I really hope to do against them right out of the gate. So, um, but then, uh, our first round against, uh, Burr in the playoffs, then, um, again, we laid, laid a bit of an egg there. So we're not, we're not going to talk about that one in depth. I mean, you're probably not the first team to, to be forced to lay an egg against Todd Burr. I imagine <laughs> he's done that to a, a laundry list of people throughout throughout his curling career. Yeah. Um, and then I just uh, really, I just want to touch on an interesting story you were telling us. There's a reason that you aren't um, play, trying to play down for men's nationals this year. You want to go into that and why you're focusing on clubs this year? Yeah. Um, well, uh, I would love to play in the men's nationals someday. Um, but, uh, you know, I mentioned Jason prayers on my team. He had the great opportunity, uh, last season to play in the America's challenge for team Guyana as a citizen. Um, he was, uh, he and a couple, uh, three other guys, uh, I think Ray, uh, boy, I forget his name. Ray, I just know him as Ray. Anyway, Ray kind of headed up the whole project with the Guyanese curling organization and working with the World Curling Federation to uh, get them included and take place in or take part in the America's Challenge. So having played for another country, um, Jason was ineligible, is, is ineligible for two full years to play in any event uh, that can lead to a national championship and representing the United States at Worlds. So um, last season we did play in the challenge round, as I mentioned, but uh, uh, we ended up getting a sub for Jason. That was Jim Ivey, you know, who was playing with us this year. So he came in, uh, he did well. We invited him onto the team full-time this year. And so, but we had to sit out now. We don't really have a, you know, Jim's on the team. He's not the sub anymore. So um we, we're not eligible to really advance through the challenge round to the nationals. So, well, shoot, if you need a sub, I've got eligibility in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and then, well, didn't didn't you just play for a different country? No, that was Jonathan. Oh, no, that's me. <laughs> that's me. Yeah, I'm not. I have, I have U.S. citizenship, but I'm not eligible now for two years. So yeah, that's right. you know, yeah, same yeah, deal. R- Richie and Corey Dropkin and all those guys can. I'm sure they were. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they were really worried about me entering and challenging. Yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, I'm not eligible for any other country for two years yep. uh, at least. So yep. yeah, right. Yeah, uh, and then. Uh, and then finally, do you want to just uh, let people know uh, where they can go to order shoes, about how much they should be expecting to pay, and kind of what the what the process is? Basically, let let people know where they can find you. Yeah, that's probably my favorite question. Then, um, yeah. <laughs> so it all starts at craigscurlingshoes.com. And there I have some blog posts that'll step you through the shoe selection process. Uh, it, it tells you what to look for. And it's a lot of things we talked about already here in this podcast. Um, what to look for, what to avoid, uh, how to make a good shoe selection. Uh, once you've found a shoe that you like and buy it, um, then go to the order page, place your order. You'll select uh, your return shipping option. You'll choose your toe coat color. I think, what do I have, five or six colors now. Yeah, navy, blue, black, tan, brown, red, and uh, make your make your choice. Ship the shoes off to me, and I take it from there. All right. Uh, did Did you make um, the uh, the shoes that? Uh, um, oh gosh, who's the curler from Quebec, Jonathan? That we Jean Michel Menard. Uh, John, yeah. Did you Yeah, did you make Jean Michel's? Because he curled in some Converse One Stars for a couple of years there at the Briar. Did you make Jean Michel shoes? I didn't. No. Oh darn. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if, if if I can if I can ever find those shoes online, uh, you'll be you'll be getting a order from me. Those uh, are the ones. Cr- yep. Uh, Craig, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Um, we appreciate all you do for curling, and uh, and good luck th- good luck this year with your team. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Hey, everybody. It's uh, Jonathan here for Rocks Across the Pond and the Game of Stones podcast. And joining me is Scott Graham, half of the Game of Stones of podcast team. Uh, you'll note that both of the hosts um, are away today. <laughs> I think uh, Ryan is has to get his RV back that uh, he drove up to Blacksburg, Virginia for a Virginia Tech game. So that's his excuse. And what, what's Sean's excuse, Scott? Sean is playing in a scotch doubles event today out in carlton place uh, about 30 minutes outside of ottawa and you know his his team they won some money last year so he's looking to repeat and at least get the entry fee back oh that's pretty good so that's that's like not mixed doubles this is the old school version yeah. of doubles right yeah it's some different rules and i think six stones every team throws and there's no sweeping between the hog lines at all so yeah, it's a little bit of a throwback. Ah, sounds fun. So I hope he does well. So we're here to uh, resolve the bad beer bet that yes, we, uh, we did with the Euros. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we'll have to talk a little bit about that. How about we first go through the results and uh, maybe start with the men first, then the women, uh, then uh, talk about the bad beer bet and who's going to have to drink what. So... Uh, let's start with the men's event. So, were you able to watch a lot of this in Canada, or were you uh, like, how does it, how does it get coverage on TSN? Yeah, so TSN had some streaming rights to this, so they were uh, streaming some of their games on TSN.ca. Uh, so, what it meant was that 
even though the games were available on YouTube, the stream wasn't. So it was black, blacked out. And I think 30 days after the end of the event, the full games will be available on YouTube in Canada. But, uh, you know, I have some tricks to, to, to get around stuff like that. And I was able to watch a little bit, not too, too much because, uh, work was pretty busy and, uh, they, they frown upon streaming at, at work. So, uh, yeah. I caught a bit of it, but, uh, to be honest on the men's side, I don't think there was even a, a, a close game worth watching that involved team Sweden. No, no, you're right. Sweden kind of rolled through that event. <laughs> they didn't even break a sweat, did they? No, not at all. It was, uh, it's pretty crazy. Uh, because as Ryan and I talked about before the event, it seemed like Sweden was struggling a bit going in, uh, didn't really have their legs under them, but boy, did they prove everyone wrong. Yeah, I, I was kind of like last year, this kind of bit me. I was kind of talking down to Dean because his team wasn't playing well all year. And of course, they just dominated uh, in the worlds in the end. So mm-hmm. I think we can definitely say that a Dean, as a, his team, knows how to turn the switch on for the big events. So maybe they're just kind of playing a bit of possum or not really worried all that much with the autumn uh, cash spiel schedule, but they clearly wanted to win this event. So. Yeah, and uh, watching the interviews after the game, uh, he seemed very excited and proud of his team and ready to start a new streak. You know, after his streak was broken last year of five straight uh, Europeans, he's looking to start a new one. So, Yeah, and I think I think it's hard for maybe the North American crowd to to appreciate how big the Europeans are for European for European teams because Adin doesn't. I don't think he has to play a qualifier in Sweden. I think they they go off point selection, so he's he's not never really at risk of not being Team Sweden. But mm-hmm. some ways for them, this is their briar. So it is a big event. It's got a fair bit of history, uh, and the quality has definitely been going up year over year. So uh, I think it, it did. It was significant to them certainly for it to win this event. So, absolutely, absolutely. So we mentioned Sweden seems to have, you know, pretty much dominated the men's field. Are there any surprises that came out of the men's field for you, Jonathan? Well, so I so basically, well, we'll get to the big surprise in a second. <laughs> but I mean, silver, silver for Switzerland, which again, Switzerland's normally, regardless of who they send, they're normally a contender for the playoffs. Scotland mm-hmm. getting the bronze, um, running into the Adine machine in the semis, and then uh, being pretty dominant. Denmark was probably the surprise, but I think we have to put a bit of an asterisk there on that, right? So Denmark yeah. snuck in on a record of five and four, but um, Norway was effectively knocked out of the playoffs in the end because of the Broomgate game against England. So, Yes, and I, I'm told you have thoughts on this. Sean and I recorded a podcast on Monday night and dropped it before the full ramifications were known for this decision. So now looking at it, uh, having a real big impact on the standings, what are your thoughts? So I, so my experience was I got, I, I, so I haven't actually spoken to the guys on the England team uh, directly, but I got a bunch of messages from people who are in the England camp, not well, one player, uh, Lisa messaged me, but um, mm-hmm. a couple of people that are just kind of there as other coaches are kind of part of the delegation. I don't have any, like I haven't got any clear, insight into what conversations were said after the game. So I know one of the things on social media was did England, you know, how could England have uh, accepted this win? And I'm not really, they haven't really kind of said they were proud of the win, but I think my, my reading is they probably didn't have much choice. 
And part of that, I think, is actually because of how it played out this week, that it's not simply um, it's not simply England's game to give back, if that makes any sense. That had England given it back and Denmark had been denied the playoff spot, Denmark could also have lodged a complaint as well. So um, I think that that's kind of the first thing that some of the social media things saying that, that England should have just declined the win. This isn't like your local... Um, you know, your local beer spiel or scotch double yeah. spiel or whatever, where you can just kind of give up the win if you don't want it. There's a lot at stake here for a lot of these countries. And um, had a country been denied, say, a world qualification event, a spot or Olympic points uh, as a result of England giving back the the win, that could have had uh, serious knock-on effects too. So that's the kind of the first thing. Um, mm-hmm. The penalty, I think, is harsh. And I'm, I'm actually aware of it because I've actually had to sub players in post Broomgate and you are the one thing I will say is the one person hasn't been called out in all this mess but seeing from a coaching perspective is where was the Norwegian coach in all of this that every time I've been to a WCF event the first thing they do is they give the team the most up-to-date version of the rule book and the second thing they say is if you have uh, questions ask us so um, the rule, the rule was kind of spelled out there in terms of how you handle substitution. So I was kind of, I'm kind of wondering why, how they didn't know that if they were just going to throw the player in. That's that's kind of not 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 an accusation, but it's the question about what happened at that angle. The third thing, this is just going off the Norwegian social media post, was um, they made it sound like the ump said, "Oh, you put this broom on and then that broom on." And if that's the case, like if the if they were acting on incorrect advice from the umpire, then they might actually have had grounds for appeal. And there actually is an appeal process in the back of the book, too. So I'm not really sure what happened happened mm. with that. But they certainly could have they certainly could have appealed to the technical director and lodged a complaint about that uh, if there if there was a basis for that. So I'm not clear on what happened on those things. Um, yeah. Either. So, uh, one interesting thing too is that the the social media post you referenced on uh, the Facebook page was taken down uh, in the during the week after most people had already seen it and had it screen capped on Twitter and stuff. So maybe Norway sort of uh, realized uh, after some sober second thought that they were a bit in the wrong. And took down that post. What do you What do you think of that? Well, as soon as I saw them tweeting that out or, t- or social media posting it out, my other thought is there's actually a rule that you're not supposed to post anything on social media disparaging the WCF officials. And you sign a waiver when you show up. And you, they can actually disqualify you if they don't like what you say on social media. So um, wow. I actually wonder if that rule was mentioned to them. And it was kind of... <laughs> They were kind of <laughs> hinted about that, and that was taken down too, because uh, that was my first thought. Is that the, I've been told that a couple of times. We, we haven't come close to any kind of situation like this, but it has been flagged to me a couple of times by kind of WCF officials and kind of experienced coaches is to watch what you say on social media when you're at the event. And I'm not going to name any names, but I've been told a story of a kind of pretty prominent curler a few years ago who had kind of a similar rant, and uh, they eventually had to take it back. And they were basically threatened with um, being kicked out of the event if they didn't. So uh, <laughs> you got to be a little bit careful about that too, right? It's not, it's not really all that different from any other pro sport, right? If a coach goes off on the refs after a game, they often get fined. So yeah. uh, <laughs> you got you to be a little bit careful sometimes when you're playing in these events for that. Yeah, and I, I suppose even some of the players who weren't playing in this event but posted strong feelings uh, may, may get a talking to uh, – 
at some point down the road, we saw a lot of Canadian players uh, express their incredulity with the ruling by the officials. So, uh, so there's that aspect. Uh, Denmark benefiting from this, but we also see Team uh, Norway obviously uh, losing out on a playoff position because of this. So big ramifications here. We'll see if anything changes with the rules. I doubt it. Uh, do what do you think about uh, would anything change as a result of this kind of thing or is it more on that team well I think there's a case to be made right so the reason the rules there is um, one of the things teams were doing uh, during Broomgate with the second round of heads was protecting the fresh pad just so they could Mm -hmm. carve it late in the game on a last shot and so that's why the rules in the rule book and that's why the penalty was so harsh but it's clear that nobody thought through this alternate situation where someone may come onto the game late in the game and, uh, you know, just be up by such a large margin and then make a simple mistake by like this, right? So mm-hmm. I think someone, Keith Wendorf, who's kind of was former kind of pretty high up in the WCF, and he, I think he was coaching Germany, tweeted out and he said, I'm actually fine with the ruling. And he's, his point was nobody, like the reason the hog line rule is there is to stop someone from sliding a stone all the way down and putting it on the button. But if the, hind- the hog line handle goes off and you're an inch over the hog line, we still pull it, right? Even if you don't have that intention mm-hmm. to commit that violation. But I do think that in this case, the penalty is so much more extreme that maybe it has to be rethought of it. So maybe it's a question of any stones swept with a, with a fresh pad, they get pulled as if they're burned stones. Or if someone does it for an end, maybe the penalty is similar to what happens if you're late for a game where you lose that end and give up one point and lose hammer the next end. So there's there's still a penalty built in, but it's not so extreme and still takes right. away the the incentive to cheat, if you will. Yeah, that, that seems a bit more online with what uh, makes sense. You know, it doesn't it doesn't make sense for a team to automatically lose but there should be a penalty for violating because of the reasons you stated before. So I agree with that. Yeah. So hopefully Any, we'll uh, see something changed, but uh, <laughs> so that has to go through the, the WCF and the different member associations. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So any other thoughts on the men's field, uh, looking at perhaps relegation? Well, I mean, England had a tough week, right? So their only win was that win on a technicality, uh, Mm-hmm. They were in a, f- a few close games. They lost an extra end to Sweden, but they, they also had a few where they were kind of blown out quite decisively. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, they lost by one to Switzerland as well. So, oh, yeah. You know, Sorry, Switzerland. Not Sweden. Not Sweden destroyed them. Yeah, no, Switzerland was the, <laughs> the extra end loss. Yeah, one of the ass countries. Okay. One of yeah. those. Yeah, there's so many. Uh, so, yeah, tough week for them. A tough week for Russia. Does that surprise you at all? Uh, probably a little more surprising. Like, I... Like, I think the scenario that Ryan sketched out where England stayed up by beating a couple of the, the teams near the bottom and then mm-hmm. staying up on, on DSC was possible. And their DSC actually was really good this week as well. Russia, yeah, Russia, it's a bit of a surprise. I mean, the men's team is not as strong as the women's, the team that Russian women's programs tend to put out, but they're normally a, an A-division team these days. So they, they seem to have a bit of an off week. Yeah, and I I sort of think of them as a pretty permanent A team now, and I going down to the Bs next year. Uh, you know, looking at predictions for next year's uh, 
Europeans, I've got to think they'll be a, a lock to make it back up into the A. Yeah, I mean, so the Russian team is a full-time funded team. So, uh, and most of the teams in the B pool are not there. They're either semi-pro or just straight up amateur. So just on the basis of that alone, the Russian squad normally should be a strong favorite in the B. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you want to switch to the women or do you want to talk about the B pool now? I think just quickly mentioned. So the Czech, Czech Republic won and is going up. Finland got silver and they're going up too. Uh, Poland got bronze, and actually that matters a bit because Finland's hosting the world qualification event, and so because they finished second, Poland gets the last berth in that. So Poland, Polish men actually yeah. still have a shot to get the Worlds this year. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. The, yeah, they had a pretty strong week overall, I'd say, and, and Ryan picked them as one of his teams to make it up. So uh, good pick there and pretty strong week. Yeah, them. and so England, Russia... Poland and the Czech Republic from the men's side are all still alive with a chance to go to world. So they'll all be playing in that world qualification event in January in Loya. Yeah. And according to your sources, the, the English team will be going to this event, right? Yeah. So England's got a rule that if a team wins the national championship, they get to go uh, as far as they go in international competition. So even though our, National championships are in February. Were Team Reed to win world qualification event, they would still have the right to go to this year's um, world championships, even if we were to beat them, say, in February. Right, right. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, anything else on the men? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it was a, a good competition overall. Um at the end of the week, I guess not the only real surprise was I'd say Denmark getting to the playoffs, but, um, yeah, a- absolutely. They were the, a team I picked to go down to be honest. And, uh, it just seems like they had the week of their lives Yeah, and the way the tiebreakers worked out, it really, uh, really helped them. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it was a good competition overall. And it's obviously just Nicodine's world these days and we're all just, uh, <laughs> renting just their guests or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But a bit more competitive was the women's side, which you and Sean talked about on our podcast last week. So uh, why don't you take the lead on on the women's side here? I mean, I just got to see most of the final. Uh, I actually missed the final shot and then got tweeted at by Ryan. <laughs> so I didn't miss the last end, unfortunately. This was out doing chores. But um, yeah, the final was actually really strong back and forth game. Uh, came back came down to a final shot. I'm sure, you know, everyone's seen the final shot on social media now. It's uh Oh, it was a definitely an early contender for shot of the incredible year. Incredible shot, yeah. With such stakes, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. So fantastic to see. Uh I also thought it was fantastic to see Eve back. Like um definitely back as kind of one of the top teams in Europe. It's been good to see because the you know she's been fading a bit the last two years with the hip problem and the lineup changes and the coaching changes, but they had a, a really solid week and definitely could have won that game. Yeah, so uh, they'll send a tape of that to uh, Glenn Howard and say, "Hey, thanks for helping us those few years, but we didn't need you. We didn't need you this week." Yeah, no, I mean they, they were they looked solid all the way through. Uh, yeah, so it's good to see. Um, one of the, one of the other things that I noticed with Eve on her interview after the game with Rona was that she was visibly disappointed that they didn't win. 
And I think a year ago, if you had told her, you know, okay, you're going to get silver on an amazing last shot by the other team, I think she would have been pretty happy with that. So the fact that she was a little disappointed shows me that she really is all back physically. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I think that uh, to kind of borrow a term from basketball, they're doing a little bit of load management with her. She seems to be playing a bit less of a less of an intense schedule compared to other years, but didn't seem like there was any hip issues at all. Like I didn't see any winces when she was throwing. So mm-hmm. she's probably in a good space physically these days. Yeah. And great to see, great to see. Of course, uh, this was really, as you and Sean sketched out, there was the top four teams at, at the top and then kind of everybody else. So uh, Switzerland, Russia, Sweden, and Scotland finish one through four in the event. Uh, looking at, the the rest of the standings, uh, the Czech Republic won their last game to ensure their place at Worlds next year, or, or this year, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, and that was a pretty like you could see from their reaction of winning the game. They were they were waving at the crowd, big smiles, you know. And you don't often see that for a team going three and six, but at an event where there's real stakes, uh, it, it's kind of cool that there's things to play for down at the bottom of the of the standings. Yeah. I mean, there's huge things to play for because uh, getting to a world's gets you those um, Olympic qualification points. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not in the top, what is it? Top seven for um, Olympic qualification points after the next two year cycle, just having points give you a chance to get into that world quali- Olympic qualification tournament. Cause I think I think it's five teams. The right. next five in terms of points, get a buy into that then everyone else is back in some new pre-qualifier tournament. So it's it basically makes it a lot easier to get to the Olympics if you're playing in a world championship versus never getting into one. So that's huge for a program like the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we saw Germany last year's bronze medalist finishing with a record of five and four. They might be a little disappointed. Uh, what do you think? Perhaps a little bit. I mean, so to my mind, what was interesting is the top four were clearly the top four, right? So Switzerland, Sweden, Scotland, and Russia, clear separation. I think maybe there's a case we made that Germany at five and four was in its own tier because all the other teams were, I think, three and six or worse, right? That's right, yeah. So, yeah, so they're kind of comfortably playing in the worlds, but not quite that kind of metal tier, I'd say. And then it's going to be a pretty tough fight I'd say to get those for the other European teams to get Olympic qualification points. Like there's a bunch of good teams there that are, are going to be nick and nip and tuck over the the next two years. Yeah. And with the, the Pacific Asia region, having three strong teams uh, plus Canada, probably the USA. So yeah, it gets, gets pretty tough when it comes to Olympic uh, Olympic time. Yeah. Yeah. So you probably, you can probably pencil in the big four from Europe Canada, the U.S., that's six. China's already there, that's seven. Korea, Japan, that's eight, nine. So there's probably a bunch of countries that are still pretty strong fighting it out for that that last spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, anything you want to say about the relegation? I mean, it's, yeah, I think Latvia and Norway going back down is not too surprising. They were kind of in that tier we were talking about. I think, I think actually Denmark impressed i would say like they're like i think they're exactly what i said they're a young team so they're they're still all juniors um they're the kind of team probably not for this mm-hmm. olympic cycle but 
uh, I, I would keep my eyes on that team as kind of a future European powerhouse if they all stick with it. Because for 19, they had a fair bit of poise. They were in a lot of the games. They didn't, you know, didn't seem super intimidated against Hasselberg, but it's Hasselberg they're playing. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 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 And they, uh, they stay up based on the strength of their draw shot challenge as there was three teams at two and seven. So Norway were the, the losers on the DSC end. Uh, so, you know, DSC matters, like, like we said for the men's side and, and you and Sean said for the women, DSC is important. If you can draw, you can skip. So learn that lesson out there, everybody. Yeah. (laughs) And everyone's got to draw these days for the DSC. So, right. uh, yeah. So it's It's an important skill and it's kind of more and more important these days. So you can't really just brush it off as only mattering for who gets the hammer anymore. Oh, absolutely. And were you able to watch any of the uh, Switzerland, Russia bronze medal game? I was not. Were you? Uh, I watched some highlights from it and it seemed like Switzerland was really struggling in the first half of the game. Alina Pats uh, not making uh, all of her shots. She was playing some difficult ones. So, you know, you don't knock her too much for that. But uh, Sylvana said, you know, they played the semifinal and then the bronze medal game right after. And she was, she said it was very emotional, like hard to contain your disappointment from losing in the semifinal and then be able to come out and execute in a bronze medal game. So took her, it took their team about, you know, half the game. They came out after the fifth and played much better. Uh, the same as the, is true for the Russian team, you know, cause they also would have lost the semifinal and then gone right to this bronze medal game. So uh, a bit of a tough turnaround. Uh, Switzerland ultimately were able to uh, come through with the win. But uh, have you ever had that experience where you have to, you lose a big game and then have to go right into something else? Uh, only zones where I've like lost, this is like ages ago, but where maybe I've lost an A side zone and then the, the B side mm-hmm. or the B semis like two hours later, which is still tough, right? Cause a zone you're kind of you're pumped up for winning something, but certainly not a, a European or world. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like really, uh, it's a really difficult turnaround, you know, to, to have to switch your mindset, you know, away from being disappointed, so, sort of let it go. So, you know, good for them for overcoming it, but I understand what they're, uh, what they're saying. So, yeah. So, yeah. And then, uh, on the B side, what do we have on the B side? Uh, so Italy and Turkey went up, uh, and then Hungary beat England in the semifinal uh, to get the bronze. So and, would you say disappointing for England? Uh, I mean, they were right in it. Um, I think yeah. I think they're, they're, I think for them, the semifinal, I haven't really spoken to, to them about it. Uh, I was just going off the line scores. But the mm-hmm. semifinal looked like they were right in it and then coughed up a really big end late, which is kind of, you know, handshakes at that point. Um, against Turkey, so they, and they were kind of right in it against them. Uh, they, they they beat them pretty decisively in the round robin game, um, and then lost to Hungary for a second time mm-hmm. in the bronze game. Um, I think they're losing the semifinals kind of fatal because uh, what, what everyone cares about really is promotion. Right. And so if you lose the semifinal, you've got no shot at promotion. So you know you get to win a medal, you get you get a lot of cheese. So cheese is the prize at the Europeans because it's sponsored by Gruyere cheese. So. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> we do get a large chunk of cheese, but I'm sure uh, Lisa and crew would trade all that cheese for promotion <laughs> in heartbeat. So probably yeah. a little bit disappointed, but certainly a better result than um, their last two goes where they were, they just missed out on the playoffs both times. So to, to finally make the playoffs and she's got a young team to, to build with. So, you know, I think they'll kind of be looking to come back and, and win promotion uh, next year. Yeah. So, so a real building, building year for team England there team Italy and, and Turkey going up. Uh, I know you guys talked about them a little bit, but uh, any surprises? Not really. I think, so we had Italy and England did, and, uh, Sean picked Italy and Hungary, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So I think we all figured so Italy to, was the class of the field. And uh Yeah, and, and Turkey not too far behind uh the other two, you know. No. I, I don't think anybody thought, oh, they have no chance. I did overrule Ryan. Ryan wanted me to pick Turkey. <laughs> I said I'm picking uh-huh. England, so <laughs> sorry, Ryan. <laughs> Oh, and and uh, what better way to uh, segue into talking about our bet? Yes, our bet. Yes. Oh so, boy, I think it was pretty decisive this year. Well, it, it might seem pretty decisive. So the the way that we did it was, if you got the exact uh, podium position of a team that you picked, you would get two points. Otherwise, one point for correctly predicting a top three team. And then uh, one point each for the relegated teams and one point each for the, the tier two winners. So if I start with the men's side, which Ryan and I did, uh, Ryan correctly predicted Sweden to win, got two points for that. And he predicted Scotland, but in second place, not third. So he got one point and he also picked Russia to be relegated. So those were his four points. Uh, He also picked Norway to be in third place, which maybe he'll have some thoughts about, uh, about the brooms when he gets to it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And uh, in the B side, he picked Poland and Spain to come up, but neither of which were able to do so. So four points for Ryan. Uh, For me, I had Scotland winning. So I get one point for that. Uh, One point for Sweden being in the playoffs. I get uh, no points for Italy. One point for England being relegated. I also had Denmark, which didn't result in points. And then one point for having the Czech Republic come up from the B pool. So that was four points for me and four points for Ryan. So after the men's division, we were, we were tied. It was pretty close. Uh, yeah. Now on the, on the women's side was where our team did pull out the victory. Both of you had picked Anna Hasselberg to win. Uh, with Switzerland for you, Ryan, being in second place, and Sean picked them in third place. And so as a result, he got two points for his correct third place prediction, where you got one. The other podium teams were Russia for both of you. So uh, not too different uh, on that on that end. So after the podium, it's four to three for us. Uh, going down, Sean had Denmark and Latvia, so he gets one point. And you picked the uh, Mother of Dragons in Estonia and Denmark as well. So no points for you going down there. As for the Tier 2, as we just mentioned, Sean had Hungary and Italy. So one for him. And you had England and Italy. So one for you. 
which means Sean beat you as on a score of six to four there, six yeah. to four, Jonathan. And in total, 10 to eight for the Game of Stones podcast. So we're picking your beer. Yeah. <laughs> so oh boy. Now the problem, of course, is uh I'm in England. Right. <laughs> so, so I was at Tesco today mm-hmm. and I, I looked at the, some beers. Okay. <laughs> so what did I get? Uh let's see. Here's some potential can these are the cheapest beers. I don't know if they're the worst, but they're the cheapest, the Tesco. All right, All right. I'm opening untapped to give you a uh, rating for them. Okay. All right. Ashfield original bitter, uh, two point a four pack cost cost less than um, a single beer of like a good beer. Uh, okay, two two point three seven average on Untapped. I think we can do worse. <laughs> All right, uh, Boddington's three seventy for a six pack. Oh, uh, Boddington's that's over three. So uh, no, you don't get Boddington. <laughs> All right, Carling. <laughs> Carling is pretty terrible. <laughs> uh what's it got is it black label or is it uh regular carling uh it's called carling original lager so this is this is the british carling not the canadian carling right right because uh that's what i'm thinking of uh we're in the two fives for that oh it's too high all right (laughs) holston pills holston holston pilsner 2.92 Oh, it does all right. All right. Uh, all right. I'll, there's also, it's a Polish beer, I think. Yeah, it's Polish. Uh, I'm going to get a message from Stu Brand who listens to this, telling me I've mispronounced it. But it's, so I'll spell it T-Y-S-K-I-E. I pronounce it Tyski, but it's not right at all. Uh, another one b- above three, but I've had it before. All right. And, yeah. uh, oh, I gave it three stars too. Huh. Oh, okay. I wonder if I had it while I was in <laughs> Poland. Yes, it seems like I was. All right. And then here is one that looked bad. <laughs> I'm saving the worst for last. Okay. It's called Desperado's Original Beer with Tequila. Whoa. With Tequila? <laughs> yeah. Desperado's Original Beer flavored with tequila. You know what? I'm going to say that's good. That's good enough. The the Desperados is on Untapped. I don't see the one flavored with tequila, but uh, how about we'll make that the beer that you, that you drink on your next podcast with Ryan? All right, All right. that'll be that'll be my choice. The other what was the other one that was low? If I have to do uh, two, the other one that was low was I think the f- first one that you said two. Yeah, Ashfield. All right, <laughs> all right. That'll, that's what we'll drink. All right. An Ashfield and a Desperado. Yeah, and uh, for Ryan, we're going to make him drink Simpler Times Pilsner, uh, available at Trader Joe's as sort of their house brand beer. It is literally the worst thing I've ever put in my in my mouth. Oh, like, wow. Yeah. I, I gave it 0.25 stars on Untapped because it was impossible to give zero. All right, so Trader Joe's it is for Ryan. That's right. I'll uh, I'll send him an email and tell him to uh, to pick some up. All right, that sounds good. All right, well, this was a lot of fun. Um, we'll be drinking good beer on your podcast to rub it in. Oh yes, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. Yeah, I've got some beer from New Zealand in my fridge. 
just a friend was just there. So brought me back some beer and, uh, you know, it's, it's Christmas time getting right about Christmas time. So lots of good beers coming out. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll have to renew it again next year. I think so. I think so. And so I guess we usually end the podcast by saying how we can get in touch with each other or how we can find our podcasts. How, yeah. How do you go about finding yours? Um, oh, our big announcement is Spotify has finally um, accepted our feed. Wow. And that, that took many effect, and that took many attempts. So it was magically appeared on Spotify last week. So you can now get us on Spotify. Awesome. Uh, but also Apple, Google, Stitcher, um, SoundCloud, uh, anywhere you can get your pot. Not anywhere, but most of the major places. We also have a webpage, www.rocksacrossthepond.com. That has all our episodes there and also some blog posts too. Mm-hmm. So that's the best way to get a hold of us. And we're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I think Ryan has us on all the socials. Right on, right on. Uh, as for Game of Stones, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Game of Stones pod game of stones podcast at gmail.com for email uh, i activated our website last week so game of stones pod.com should have our episodes up there and look for us this week uh, we're going to be going daily after the canada cup so every night we'll sean and i will we'll record a little 10 15 minute uh hit about what happened this past week, I'll also try to put some blog posts up on the website. So, uh, personally, you can find me at Scott Lakes TV on Twitter and Instagram. Sean's on Twitter at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And I guess we are on most of the podcast stuff. Uh, we're having problems with Google still, but we're on Google Play Music, not uh, the Google Podcast app. So, if you're an Android user, check us out there. All right. Well, thanks a lot. It was a lot of fun and uh, we'll keep listening to you and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do this again sometime soon.